0: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by all my awesome co-hosts this week. I'm Nate Heininger. I'm Lauren Ash. And I'm Shane Kelly. And this week we're talking about a game called The Gardens Between. Um, the Gardens Between is a kind of a puzzle adventure game. It came out on the Nintendo Switch. It's also on uh, uh, PS4 and Mac and PC on Steam. And it's a game that takes a little bit of explaining. Maybe, Laura, would you like to kind of take it away?
1: Sure. I think it's kind of in the relaxing adventure, uh, puzzler type game. It basically you control a pair of kids who we've learned through the press kit are Ariana and Frent. I don't think the names actually happen in the game, right?
0: No, the names don't show up in the game. And I'm I'm really confused about that second name. Ariana, okay. <laughs> That's a name I, I understand. But F-R-E-N-D-T.
2: Are they are the the developers um, like Norwegian or anything like that? Because that strikes a very uh, um, like
0: the the studio is headquartered in Melbourne. Um, I don't think that's like a traditional uh, uh, Australian name that I'm aware of. I don't know where friend friend comes from. Friend, yeah, friend, friend, dad, friend. I I'm just. Let's all make an agreement to never say that name again on this podcast.
1: (laughs) I think we have to, to describe the mechanics, but after this point, we can retire it.
0: I'll I'll go with Ariana and the other one. You guys can do whatever you think is best. (laughs) I'm going to call him Fred. Yes. All right. Let's call him Fred. All right.
1: Ariana and Fred. Um... The each puzzle, you can basically, the only controls are to interact with something and to go forward and backward in time. It's like a time scrubber adventure. It's not Braid, um, but it's got a little bit of that back and forth, time rewindy thing if you've played Braid before. Um, But basically, um, you're friends, and friend Fred is moving away, and you are kind of taken through a series of memories uh, you go through a series of what they call constellations and in each one you have a couple little islands you go to and each is associated with an object. Um, you basically are trying to get a light from a lantern to the top of the island mountain, which are just giant objects from your memory. And I think that's probably the thing that people see first about this game is it's just really surreal, like a mountain where half of it's a couch.
0: Yeah. The thing that really initially drew me to this is the, they've done a great job with the promotional artwork. I mean, you know, we'll have some pictures obviously on our show notes page for this and everything, but like the, the first thing you see, if you look up this game is this really dramatic piece of art of the two friends standing in front of a mountain. And on top of that mountain, (laughs) friend is friends. And on top of that mountain is a giant very 80s looking television and a and sort of tumbling down from it are some massive vhs tapes. Um it, it has this sort of like <laughs> nostalgia for the 80s but through the lens of like uh surrealism written all over it and that's a cool aesthetic. Like that's a it's a really dramatic and interesting art style too. It's kind of like uh um a, a little bit sort of dreamlike, pastel-y looking um and it's uh I would almost say like a little ghibli e or something about the color choices and some of the the way that the characters are kind of shaped. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids meets Monument Valley.
1: <laughs> yes, that's <Okay. laughs> a perfect description actually.
0: Well, I was
2: thinking um, if we if we do like the game stew, right, Monument Valley for sure. And I think we'll talk about that some more, but I was also thinking Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons and uh, what you said, Laura, Braid. It's like those three games all together. Because they do, the the two friends, each, each of them have a unique thing that they're able to do. One can pick up stuff and carry the lantern, and the other one can interact with the objects, right? So it's sort of like balancing the two. Um, It's a lot of just going back and forth, basically, but we'll talk about that more later. But I thought of like those games combined um, into like a really simplified package.
0: I think in any friendship, there is one person who carries lanterns and another who interacts (laughs) with objects. (laughs) Which one are you? I'm always the object's friend. I'm always the object's friend. Always the object's friend. (laughs) I never thought about that,
2: but I do find myself carrying
0: lanterns all the time. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're handing them to small boxes.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of cool in this game that you're, it's not like you're jumping or you are even controlling how fast people go. Literally, all you're doing is time scrubbing. Uh, And so you can't even force people to climb ladders. If you've unlocked something, they will go in that direction. You're just changing the world around the characters and then hoping your characters now can move forward or backward.
0: The thing that this, the, the just playing the puzzles of this reminded me of more than anything else is like video editing where you're like scrubbing forward or backward in a, in a video. You know, I, I literally kind of felt like I was like just um, editing a video in final cut, but occasionally I could like have a, have a, boxy robot, carry a lantern for me. Like it was very much that sort (laughs) of like scrub forward and backward kind of thing that, and and occasionally actually that, that came to one of my, my, uh, frustrations with this game is that the, the speed of that, like when I'm editing a video in final cut, well, I might, uh, hit J or L on my keyboard to scrub forward or backwards. But if I hit J several times, I'm scrubbing back at double speed or quadruple speed or what have you, there's no like fast scrubbing keyboard shortcuts for you listeners out there yep there you go (laughs) getting into video editing the first time i
1: i I think that was for the relaxing vibe but i can totally see how like on some levels like there's there's one where there's um there's these little uh helper cubes that jump around and they were jumping in paint and if you had chosen the wrong one and you followed around the island you went all the way down the island realized you were in the wrong paint bucket and then all you wanted to do was get back up to the beginning but I had to like slowly walk myself around.
0: Oh yeah. I I know exactly the one that you're talking about. Yeah. Several of the levels, I mean, that might take up to a minute, which isn't that long, but like might take up to like a full minute to like scrub from the beginning to the end and back or not and back, but like from one end to the other. And uh, if you're just sort of iterating and trying things um, and particularly if you're not sure what to do next, uh, just sort of scrubbing forward and backward through that sort of timeline of each level is it takes a it takes a while and, and sometimes I'd be like why don't you run faster or like you <laughs> holding the the forward button and one of the characters will like stop for a moment to like look at something and I'm like what no go 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 that's funny
2: yeah I guess I I never thought once like I wish they went faster because the whole game you know that like when they're stopping they're usually looking or pointing out something that may be a clue um, but also that's very like, true the whole the whole game is, the the animation the, the the kids the the friends are <laughs> uh, really really well animated and do some really funny or interesting or cool things that I kind of just enjoyed like watching them. You know, I think they did a good job of of making the world interesting so that even though you're going back and forth and back
0: and forth, there was usually something new to to uh, you know pick up. That's true, and I think because this is you know each level is so contained each level is a sort of a uh very carefully constructed little diorama they can put a lot of detail into those animations that you wouldn't be able to if you were driving those characters around yourself exactly like you, they they put a lot of detail into like little expressive ways the characters look at things or yeah
2: or like they'll they'll be you know like little fun things where one one of the kids will climb up on top of something and the kid below will stop and like wave and be like, whoa, you're up there, you know, like really childlike things like, oh, I can't believe you got up there or or something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're they're all pretty bite sized. Each level is I think you said island. I think that's a good way mm-hmm. to explain it. They basically are little islands and some levels can take a long time. But for the most part, you know, a lot of levels are solved in five to eight minutes or so, yep. to, you know, depending um so even if you're going back and forth or you know you're not stopping to really look at all the details in the level you're going to get through it relatively quickly
0: until some of the later ones definitely get more complicated the rotation and the rewinding and fast forwarding um it leads to some really neat scenarios where like um you know I think we mentioned already the the scene where the little uh robo buddies uh, were jumping around uh, in different paint cans. I looked up a, a a tutorial on one of the levels I was stuck on, and the guy in, in that uh, YouTube video was referring to them as buddy boxes, and I was like, "That's what they're called." Buddy I boxes. like that. That's fit. it's that's nice. It's like they another It's
2: like a synonym for companion cube.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so
0: the companion cubes are bouncing around, and um, you know, you you get you can get pretty much to the end, and it's it's you know, the, the puzzle is figuring out where these individual boxes started. And what's wonderful about it is because your, your path through, you know, not just the character's path, but your path as the observer through the whole, uh, kind of procession of the level is fixed, uh, in, you know, in, in this way, they're able to play a fun shell game with you where, you know, your perspective is very carefully controlled and, you know, you have to be paying close attention as things move around the back side of the island as well. So, you know, and and keeping keeping track of things. So they had it's like a, a lot shell of, game.
1: Yeah. Three it's, card like, Monty, but with companions. With little cubes. buddy boxes.
0: It's and so yeah, it's it's absolutely um it, there's some very clever puzzle design, but the thing that I like about each puzzle is like they're not wicked hard. They managed to have a puzzle game that is simultaneously chill, uh, and, and not frustrating without being like, uh, some kind of puzzle platformers that we've recently reviewed, um, a game that I just feel like I'm cruising through without any, uh, you know, major challenge. So I, I thought it was a really, really careful balance that they, that they laid with this and really f- well balanced. I don't want to, I don't want to dump on anything. Cause I do agree with you, but like, when you say that it's uh, like it's chill and never challenging, like, I had some real moments of frustration with this game. And I think I'm the only one that felt this way. So I, I'm thinking this is probably just talking. This is probably just specific to something about my brain. I, I'm, I'm a person that like certain types of puzzles, like spatial puzzles, for example, I I, I wouldn't say I excel at, but I have no problem with really. Um, but like certain other types of puzzles, I have a lot of trouble with. And this was a game where I found myself having a particularly towards the end of the the game, like the last several levels, I had a lot of trouble with, uh, so the one that I'm thinking of specifically right now is there was a level, well, almost all of them involve some type of keeping track of like multiple things moving around and where they are at different points within the timeline. Um, and, uh, that was hard for me just regardless. Like I, I just had a really hard time keeping track of like, okay, so at the beginning, this buddy box will be over here, but then he'll be over there, but then he'll be over there. And then what do I need to, I I could see like, okay, I clearly need to get a lit lamp lantern and then wind it back to the beginning of the level and put it on the buddy box over here. And that kind of thing that was most of those, most of the puzzles are about managing these sort of multiple timelines or multiple paths through the level. Um, but when it started adding things onto that, like multiple paths. So like there are places where if you're holding the lantern, you go up a hill, but if you're not holding the lantern, you go down it, or there's little walls that you can only get past. If you're holding the lantern, that kind of thing. Um, I just, I, I just would hit walls with every single level. And like, I I think there were, there was one level where I think I spent probably two hours on one level and I ended up uh, YouTubing it afterwards, and finally got it, got past it. So, I I, I don't want to sound like a downer on it because I still think it's a it's a clearly a good puzzle, but it's like one that my brain was not working for. It, I just I'm really surprised to hear everybody talk about how chill this game was because like, <laughs> I almost threw my controller at the wall on that one, and I had to come back to it the next day. Yeah, and that, I, I didn't finish it that day, so I went back to it the day after that. Like I had some trouble. That is it's interesting. Okay.
1: We don't play spatial reasoning puzzles. I'm not good at those, so I completely like. To me, this was really chill. Um, that it corresponds to the way my brain works and the puzzles that I like doing. So, um, buyer beware, I suppose. If you are not a like time rewindy uh, fourth dimension type person, <laughs> this might not be.
0: I mean, as, fun. A, as a as a point of like another point, there, um, I also couldn't finish braid. So, like. You know, this is probably just an area that I'm not good at. And full disclosure, I I did make it up through the pipes section. uh, But if the difficulty ramps enormously after that, then I'm not aware of it. No, it was right around there that I was having trouble with. All right. So
2: I played this game. um, Molly and I played it together. And
0: she, you know, likes to be
2: called the Puzzle Master. So it definitely Mm. had a benefit of having two, two sets of eyes on every puzzle. So I because this game is something that you control every element, you know, you control when it goes forward, you control when it goes backwards. There's nothing that is like, I don't know, some puzzles that are more like time-based where you have to solve things real quick. And it, and it depends on like if you as a player can do it, this is more like just figuring it out.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's uh, not like a lot. There's not a lot of like, um, doesn't it, execution is not the problem. in this. Yeah,
2: game. exactly. Execution is definitely not the puzzle. It's just solving it. Um, I definitely, you know, obviously, benefited by having two sets of eyes on every puzzle and being able to talk out loud uh, about it. So if you like playing games together, this is a good game for that because it really doesn't matter who's controlling it. It's just about solving it. So being able to talk it out loud and everything was really, really helpful. Um, That being said, I I don't know. We never really got stuck on any of them. There were a couple that are challenging, um, but it, it mostly stuck in that chill vibe for us as well. I really... Liked going forward and backwards and like trying different things and there's like no fail state you know you you can always try different things and there's usually only a couple options at a time you know for the most part it's like you're gonna go forward front, or oh, I don't know which one <laughs> I don't know which one is which we said we one were of gonna them,
0: say it again <laughs>
2: Fred is able to I think it's Fred is able to Lantern interact Lantern Girl with,
1: and Time Stop
0: yeah. yeah,
2: so lantern girl's gonna pick up a lantern, and you're gonna need to get a light for it. And front or Fred, he is going to alter the world to to allow you to pass forward. You know, and it was like that's how every puzzle kind of broke down one way or another. But they do some really really cool things with that mechanic. But for the most part, everything seemed to be like kind of solved
0: with the same set of actions, just in very, very different ways. I definitely agree. But one thing I have to give the game credit for is that it does introduce some new twist on that. Some, not entirely new mechanics exactly, but like new twists in basically every puzzle. So like, or at least in every, every, the puzzles are kind of grouped into threes, each, each sort of zone, or I don't know what you call it, each
1: constellation, thank
0: you. Each of those is, uh it introduces something new. So like, you know, this is the, in this one, they're introducing and playing with the idea of having multiple possible paths through the level or, or like little things like, um, there are some things in the level that follow your timeline and other things that just don't or follow a different kind of timeline or yeah. things like that. They, they, they're constantly playing with little new ideas. You're always using the same set of verbs, you know, running things forward or backward and the interact thing where he can either, um, Hit the bell to change the light thingies. I don't know what you call so those. Open the boxes, grow Close the flowers, plants. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, or think... the yeah. Anyway, it. But it, I, I got to give the game credit for like consistently trying introducing new little mechanics or variations on mechanics as you go. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I think it gets like any good puzzle game. It gets a lot bolder as it progresses, and I think it gets to have a lot more fun with. know when you stop moving or when you keep moving and like i think the sets they they do a good job of mixing up the set pieces like the third thing you get to go to is like video games and dominoes and a giant couch and popcorn like you get cool set pieces like literally the environments look cool early on but i think as you get more confident um and they start figuring that you have the basic mechanics down, they start really playing with the environment more and more. And and that's always where I think a game shines. I'm trying to speak vaguely because some of those are some of the most delightful surprises. But yeah. I, I will say that there's a place where some drawings come to life, and I really liked that level in particular.
0: There were a lot of really cool set pieces. But my favorite that I can think of was the, the bit where you have to enter a passcode on the computer and there's that mm-hmm. giant computer and you're kind of the characters walk across the keyboard and you have to run the uh run the timeline forward and backward to kind of manipulate where they're stepping on the keyboard in order to enter a passcode to unlock the computer. That yeah. was super cool. Like Yeah, I love that. That's so funny. I've
2: been I was like kind of sitting here waiting for a break to come in and say oh, here's yeah. one of my favorite ones was <laughs> you know, I'm gonna say
0: exactly that one. That so. was like a stupid one. And it has a cool printer moment. too.
2: I yeah. love that. crowd pleaser. But one thing and uh, that we definitely got um, tricked by a lot in this game. Uh, unlike most puzzle games, at least puzzle games like this, there's a lot of red herrings. They mm-hmm. they add in things that are never gonna come to fruition that you're like certain that they will. So like in that level, for example, there's um, you you make selections on a computer and like the printer will print them out. And you're certain that you'll have to use like, or at least we were certain because, you know, normally if, they, you, if you're if you given a set of tools in a puzzle game, you expect that I'm going to use like all of these things one way or another. Uh, and you end up only using like two of them. And that continues throughout the en- entire game. There are buddy boxes that look like they're buddy boxes that you're going to need to use, that you're going to need to put your lantern on at some point. Um, but no, they're just there to add complexity by way of giving what appears to be options when they're actually just like set pieces or or design elements.
0: Sometimes those really did seem specifically there to mislead you. Like some of the extra yeah. button yes. boxes are there. So that it's like, I know I need to put it on one of these, but there's six of them hopping around and I can't visually track which one I'm supposed to put it on that exactly <laughs> oh man that puzzle and
2: then later there
0: are mm-hmm. times where
2: you're like oh well that's probably a red herring I've been trained that there are red herrings and it's like oh damn it no that was something that I had to use but <laughs> it had all the hallmarks of a red herring so I got tricked by it um, and, and I think they had to do that because in a game that you control every moment that it moves forward or backwards or whatever like they had to add in stuff that was a distraction or else you would just be able to like freeze time and analyze everything. You know, it like it kind of forces you to go forward and go backwards and go forward and bet back backwards and figure out what's important and what's not important and try different things in order to go forward. Cause if the only stuff that was on the screen is what matters for the puzzle, then you would immediately solve it. You know, you'd, you'd immediately mm-hmm. know, okay, I need to utilize these three pieces or, or whatever. And you'd, It'd give you a huge leg up. So, by adding in these other elements, it obscures it a little bit more and forces you to just try things out and explore. I thought that was really clever. Normally, red herrings are annoying, (laughs) and I thought this game did a good job of balancing that.
0: I know we've already mentioned it but can we take a second and talk about how much the how, how great the art style is on this game like I just pulled up their press kit page which has a ton of great uh, screenshots and gifs and artwork from the game by the way thank you developers when you put up a, a bunch of really good art on your uh, press kit page it makes my job and every other person who writes and talks about your game's job a lot easier but I, just looking over this I'm like oh yeah I remember that little island and oh man there's so many cool details in here like the giant couch or the i was just looking at the screenshot of the the video game one where they've got a giant famicom with a giant cartridge called super silly crow so many cool little details in these and the art style is like i don't know it's i i I almost want to call it like low poly but that's wrong it's more like low texture like, it's uh, it's very flat textures on highly detailed objects, like, highly detailed shapes. It's pretty cool looking.
1: It gives it a really crisp feel. Um, it makes it feel more like concept art than a lot of other games. Like, yeah. uh, a lot of that. Um, and it is very detailed and subtle, but I think it's got this um, kind of poppiness to it that I really like. It, it does make it feel a little more like a memory.
2: Yeah. It's like a it's like a katamari rolled through, you know, childhood memories, Aww. increased increase the the resolution a little bit and spit it all over a bunch of different islands.
0: Well, you are actually uh sending things up to become stars in the sky. You <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you you are. Are, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're right, actually, the katamari comparison is not that off. It's like a little more detailed than that, but it has that yeah. same kind of like uh, like, like, uh, I, I think, I think it's sort of just something about the, the way that the textures of the, of the, so like uh, like of the, the low detail object. in the textures, but lots of detail in just sort of like the shapes and like the choices of what's there. Yeah. Very specific choices. It, every object feels like it's there because it's something that, that is emotionally important to these kids. And so every detail lets you, you know, if you see an object, it's like, oh, oh that's odd. I wonder what that's doing there. It always kind of makes you think back to like, oh, well, why would this be important to these kids? Or like, what does this mean about these kids? And we didn't really talk about this. Every um, uh, constellation, once you complete it, ends with a kind of a, a scene where you can see a moment from the kids' lives together and it kind of tell each one of these is a little simple moment, but it always it tells a story about these kids' relationship. And usually, you'll see the objects, or at least some of them, some of the objects from the dioramas uh, in their actual setting. So you know you might be playing through a, a level where they've got massive video game system, and then at the end of it, you see a scene, a very simple sort of domestic scene of these two kids sitting around together, watching movies, playing video games, and eating popcorn together. And you see like, okay, this was an important moment in these two kids' lives and friendship. Um, and, you you know, you, you, the thread of like, here's all these massive set pieces that tie into these small moments is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it's a really weird thing. This week I was trying to uh, downsize and I did watch some um, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo and to go into this game, which is like, objects have such meaning and power <laughs> It's <laughs> very strange. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it, it's, you know, especially when you are thinking about uh, moving away with somebody and you're, if it is a moving away thing, you're thinking about like, oh, all this stuff is going in boxes. And every time you touch something, you think about it. Um, this is just the kind of video game physical environment version of that where each memory is turned into a series of objects that loom huge. Uh, and you kind of go through three or four of them related. And it's almost like each set, each memory is like putting away the living room. And then you get a memory from that spot. It's really yeah. an, Does a nice solving this metaphor. this puzzle spark
0: joy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. It's a metaphor. It's a big metaphor for um, the way you think about relationships and objects and things that happened.
0: And how sometimes the objects you have in your life are like the only connection you have back to something like a, like a relationship with a person who's gone or to your childhood. Like, I know I, I have a bunch of things just around the room I'm in right now that I, uh, I I can't possibly throw away, even though they're not particularly Marie Kondo to me, uh, because they're, they're little connections back to things like, like, uh, childhood moments or something like that. So it, it, it kind of made me think about, some of the stuff that I have around my rooms and how they would, how 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 large they would be on the little islands that I would have to traverse in a game like this. I'd just be crawling over huge piles of empty beer bottles. <laughs> hey, that <makes> me <laughs> like I want to play this person. same
2: game, but it's Reagan and Chains, uh, like childhood memories instead of front And Ariana. I think it would be adorable.
1: I mean, seriously, when I saw um, later in an episode, uh, there's a sewer uh, constellation and there's all of this water and then it goes into a rain thing. And I was like, oh, my God, they have to move because their houses got flooded and all of these things got destroyed. And I was having horrible flashbacks because I grew up in Houston. We deal with floods. We've dealt with our houses flooding and losing stuff. I honestly thought that's where this game was going. And I was like... I can't handle this beautiful, relaxing game turning into a flood story. And that was not what happened. But like, I seriously thought it was like all these objects got ruined.
0: I have flood PTSD. So I'm right there with you. Actually, that that particular scene reminded me a lot of uh, like a a childhood. um, This is probably like a, just an anecdote. that's not that useful to anyone, but I'll share it anyway. childhood
1: trauma corner on the short game.
0: Yeah. So my brother and I, um, when we were kids, we had a... uh, but we liked to explore the neighborhood as kids. And what that usually meant was my dad would very patiently walk us around the neighborhood while we like decided that certain elements of the neighborhood were dragon's caves or places where trolls lived, that kind of thing. And there was a sewer culvert, a massive uh, open pipe that was- a-, a dragon's lair, you mean. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> it was the dragon's lair. The dragon's lair was a massive sewer culvert that fed into the bayou near our house. And uh, Shane and I loved to go there and play, but of course, we never went into the dragon's lair because there's a dragon in there. Why would you go in there? There is a dragon in that pipe. You do not go in there. So one day, we brought some friends uh, along with my dad. We were down there, and there's this kid. I think his name was Vadim. And he had a uh, Ghostbusters backpack. And he thought that because he had a Ghostbusters backpack, he was invincible to anything. And probably he was. Yeah, so. it, that tracks. Yeah. So we got to the dragon's lair, the massive sewer culvert, uh, massive open pipe that, but massive in that it was probably like three feet tall or maybe three and a half. And uh, Vadim. No, in, it was way higher than that, dude. Oh, uh, it was yeah. a lot bigger than that. A grown man could stand in that. No, dad mostly. dad had to bend over. Anyway, Vadim beelined right into this gigantic pipe, wearing his backpack, Uh, ready to Last the the dragon. I've
1: seen this TV show and it did not Yeah, he was never seen
0: again. (laughs) I mean, my poor dad, I think, thought that this stranger's child was about to fall down a 10-foot hole and drown or something. He had to go into the pipe and get the kid out. Uh, Fortunately, nothing bad happened. But like, seeing that pipe just made me, and seeing them like, go and hang out in the pipe just made me think like, oh yes, the dragon's lair. Like, there's so many little (laughs) things in this game that like, reminded me of things about childhood like that, because this is a very like, it's all these little vignettes of childhood through the lens of this surreal, uh, you know, mishmash of objects. So it's pretty cool. I mean, we spent the first
2: part of this episode, mostly talking about the puzzle side of it, you know, and that makes sense. That's what you're, you as a player are doing, but we also opened it up by describing the game as an adventure game, right? And it has no, elements of an adventure game other than, like, the feeling of adventure. Yes. And I think that this is a game that, you know, when you, when you are done with it and you look back on it, it's more that stuff than the actual puzzles that will stick with you. Um, and that's kind of why I compared it too, to um, Brothers a Tale of Two Sons.
0: I, God, where, every time we say that I'm so, title, I'm like, I know ugh, that so title. Bad. It's a good game.
2: Redundancy. Um, yeah, it's a great game. And it is also a puzzle game that involves two people. But really, when I look back at that game, I think about like the scale and the story and like the scope of what was told in that and not like, oh, that one puzzle where you and the brother had to like manipulate a wagon together. You know, like that was a part of it, but more it was the story and what you did. Uh, that's what I think about this game. The puzzles were were interesting and fun and at times challenging. Of course, your results may, v- you know, your mileage may vary, but it's really the the like the presentation of the game and like the theme of the game and, and what you're doing and what you're going through uh, is, I think, the real accomplishment of it and what, you know, what has made this game get some accolades and, and what makes this game stand out.
1: It's a game in which you get an orb to the top of a mountain, and none of us have complained about the orbs because everything else. It's
0: you've got an excellent point,
1: but but none of us complained about it because that's not the point. Well, like, yeah, it's so you're pretty. also
0: not collecting orbs. It's a whole, whole different thing when you're delivering orbs. And at the end, you get to dunk that orb.
2: <laughs> it's a very satisfying uh, satisfying animation. Every time you take the orb, they both, both put kids two hands put their on, it on it and slam Ugh. it down. It's very pyre. Yeah, every time I'm like, oh, finally I get to dunk on this post.
0: Nice. I mean, you know that they're like,
1: the first one gets there, wants to do it, and then the other kid is like, you better not dunk that orb without me. You better not. And they both put it on, and one, two, three, pound. I'm like, I was like, yeah, that feels like a friendship.
0: Those are great <laughs> animations. Those are just so expressive and cool. I love those. And they're different each time. Well, not not entirely, but a little bit different each time. The, that's really cool.
1: So this game did receive the Mac game of the year in the App Store for best of 2018. Uh, it didn't get on our coverage from last year because we were playing a lot of kind of relaxy, puzzly games towards into the, the year and this just quite didn't get on our radar yet. So I'm glad we played it.
0: Yeah, I, I got to say that it got it, Mac game of the year on the Mac App Store is a bit of a dubious honor because like the Mac App Store is not, despite Apple's, I was yeah. going to say, despite Apple's best efforts, actually, despite Apple's really actively trying to find ways to make the app a terrib- make the Mac a terrible gaming platform, but the, the Mac App Store is not exactly a destination for games, but it is still notable that this is, uh, you know, Mac Game of the Year awarded by Apple. I think, you know, Apple likes to award games that are visually really interesting.
1: Yeah, it definitely looks nice side-by-side side from the games that won the iOS Game of the Year awards. Yeah. So I think that had something to do with it. I- Personally, I think once they get this out on iOS, it'll have another life there too. There's no reason not to. Scrubbing back and forth would be really nice and easy. Yeah, this
0: game would work perfectly fine on iOS. Uh, might even be a, a better experience. Although I think it's it was a really nice experience on the Switch. I liked being able to play it docked and get that nice large 1080p image. Um, but I mean, you know, you could see this being really great on an iPad or iPhone too. Yeah, this style of art really scales well because yeah. you know large areas of color and and things are simple. Uh, so the details that do come through are going to be nice and clear and sharp. But uh, if you lose detail on this, it's not going to affect your experience that much. Yeah, and it's also like controls-wise, it's going to be really simple to, to play this on really anything, even a touchscreen, because the there's no precise inputs are required. Yeah, and one of the nice things about the way they actually ported it on uh, PS4 is... They didn't have to tell you a lot of, you know, how to's or tutorialization because uh, pretty much whatever buttons you tried uh, were going to be just fine. You could use the uh, direction pad. You could use uh, the stick. You could actually use the bumper buttons. Either one is going to just rewind or fast forward your time. Uh, I think they told you once, hey, press the X button on your controller to do a thing.
2: Yeah, and when there's things, when there are interactable objects, they light up very brightly, which is helpful
1: after you get through the seven kind of constellation groups and you do that last final ending puzzle uh, you get a really nice credit song I just want to shout out to it it's it's beautiful for some reason it's not on the soundtrack but you can you know find it on YouTube uh, I think they said that there were some licensing issues because I think the artist released it separately and did not include included on the OST as well or something like that um, but I just wanted to say that the music is really nice especially if you're trying to get into that uh, puzzle zone relax mood, this soundtrack is you no, know, it, it's gonna keep you in a nice place. It does have kind of the issue when you're watching a movie where it goes from really soft to really loud during the memories. But I think also my TV sound speakers are awful. <laughs> <laughs> and, the in the sky. and the ground is turning gray. place where you and I used to play
2: In the garden
1: And you carried off downstream But I know you'll think of me And all the things we used to be In our
0: minds, in the eyes This game is out on a bunch of platforms. I think I mentioned this at the top, but it's on uh, PC, Mac, and Linux on Steam. Obviously, as we mentioned a second ago, it's also on the Mac App Store if you prefer to grab it there. I think it was $20. Is that correct? Did I get read that wrong? How much was this game? uh, $20. Yeah. Uh, Across all of the... It's also uh, on uh, PS4... Uh, switch and also Xbox one which I think I neglected to mention earlier sorry Xbone owners uh, so I would recommend picking this game up if you like this sort of puzzle game I uh, I I think it's really really beautiful art and you can really see that they worked on the animations for a long time and you know if you value that sort of thing in a puzzle game this game is gorgeous so definitely recommend picking it up um, the developers estimate that it could take anywhere from two to four hours depending on your puzzle confidence, which I think is a very polite <laughs> and politic way to put it. So depending yes. on your puzzle confidence, you may take between two and four hours, but it'll definitely be in the short game territory. Um, yeah. Or, and if you have trouble play
2: with a friend, I,
0: I really think this is one of the better um,
2: co-op sort of single co-op, single player puzzle games, find your local puzzle
0: master and play it together. It's fun. And maybe you'll share some childhood memories. And of course, long-time listeners to this show know that we have a segment here that we like to do at the end called "What's Making Us Happy This Week." And so, Laura, what's making you happy this week?
1: Needs making a face. I just—I feel like we before we start. uh,
0: I feel like we went from,
2: "Hey, we're doing a new segment." to longtime listeners will know <laughs> without a middle ground on what's making us happy. <laughs> Don't care,
0: we're going with it. <laughs> Laura. So
1: I just started following a new Twitter account called at Dancer on Film. and what they do is they tweet out gifs and uh, video clips, like two minutes of um, different pieces of dance from film. and they're not all old movies. Although that's what got me initially interested in. They might grab something from uh, a weird, obscure 1930s musical and follow up with a clip from Saturday Night Fever, follow it up with The Breakfast Club. It's just all over the place. The only thing that they have in common is they're all people dancing from a movie. Uh, Often it's also just people dancing in a movie that's where they're not dancers, which is great too, because they're just people awkwardly trying to have conversations on the dance floor. They've put Pride and Prejudice in. It's a really fun thing to stick in the middle of your feed, uh, especially if you don't mind popping a pair of headphones in and watching from time to time because um, they're always interesting. And I think I watch a lot of movies, and I definitely have seen more musicals than 99% of people I know, and I'm still seeing clips I've never seen before. So they're—I maybe it's because it's been going on for three years, but, man, they're finding some really cool gems that I've just – been surprised at it always makes me smile so dancer on film highly recommend especially if your twitter is going a little crazy right now like everyone's is yeah (laughs) i
0: I really appreciate little single purpose twitter accounts like that that have like that brings some little little blessing to your twitter feed every x number of minutes or hours or whatever It, it it's it's silly because like, you know, it's just a bot or whatever, right? But it's it's silly, but it's a it really helps the this Twitter experience. This not a bot. Experience. This one's a human. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I mean, I I assume that it's human curated in some way, but I know that most of these have some sort of like automated posting schedule or something like that. Is yes. I guess what I mean by that. But but even if it is a bot, if it's a bot that brings you joy, like I I have no uh no compunction about subscribing to little Twitter bots or Twitter accounts that are weird or silly in some way just to break up a Twitter feed that can sometimes otherwise feel like a bunch of people despairing of the the state of the world. It can be, it'd be really nice to kind of bring a little bit of, you know, something nice into your Twitter feed.
1: If the Oscars hired whoever runs dancer on film to do their clip show, it would be much more interesting.
0: <laughs> um, Nate, what is making you happy this week?
2: Yeah. So this is something that I've actually been doing over the last six months or so off and on, Um, but I want to recommend it to anyone who is interested in possibly trying to do yoga. Um, That is something that has been a, I I am maybe the least flexible person that any of you have ever met or know. I can barely like bend over. I am upright or down. That's, that's kind of my two States. Um, And so in an attempt to not be that way, and just be in a
0: general um you know more i don't know more as soon control. as you started talking about this i became like really aware of how like fixed and tense my shoulders are yeah <laughs> like, right Oh, my god yeah. like, why did you do this to me you just there's messed. a lot of reasons <laughs> why uh you
2: know th- that you can benefit from this and while for the most part i've still been at the part where it like it hurts um i there's a channel that uh Mine, I found that I highly recommend. Uh, it's called Yoga with Adrian. Ooh. She's actually down in Texas. So, um, Shane, you can just like probably go find her. Which, oh, be yeah. which at would all. Be I don't crazy. know why not even. <laughs> just go find her. her. Look out <laughs> <the window. laughs> um, uh, Texas, yeah, in Texas, <laughs> it's small enough that you can just go find someone too, just all, if they're also hey, in y'all, Texas. want to know <laughs> Yeah. So, the anyway, chorus of voices um, comes from the street. Here she, she is. does a good she does a good job of doing of like finding that balance between um you know this the serenity that is supposed to come with it and like using the language of yoga um a lot of it which you know I don't really understand while also being like super funny and like quirky and welcoming I guess so she has like thousands of videos and it'll be like yoga for gardening or yoga for lower back strength or low yoga for whatever. And she does these like 30 day challenges. Um, So give it a shot. If you're interested, Uh, I have seen various other like, Hey, try and do yoga things. And they're either like too far down the like spiritual path for me or too far the opposite where they're like, yeah, we're tough guys who do yoga too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, which is also not what I Broga. want. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Broga. Uh, so she fits like right in the middle of like, you can tell she cares and it's like her whole life. Um, But it's also, she's not afraid to like make jokes and her dog is there for most of it. So uh, it's, it's really good. Um, I heard someone explain it as like, if Bob Ross did y- uh, taught yoga classes, it's that sort of like affirming yet sort of silly
0: to it. I, I don't know. It's really good and I recommend it. You've absolutely that's sold excellent. me. I need to check that out. I I um I did a bunch of yoga in college because like mm-hmm. theater classes will do it in yep. things like that. And and I kind of miss it, particularly like now that I work from home and I sit in a chair working, doing like desk work all day. And like sometimes by the end of the week, my shoulders are this like horrible little mass of pain. And like, I, I need, I need some more of this in my life. So that's, you sold me. Absolutely going to check yeah. this out. Yeah. Check it out.
1: I will also give a shout out to y- yin yoga, which is the kind of yoga where you just kind of, they get you into a pose and then you stretch in that pose for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and for the first two, you're very uncomfortable. And after like four, you're like, oh, this is what it's, apparently if you just relax, this is comfortable. <laughs> um, my friend Sarah was having me do it. She's like, "I," she liked it and she was pregnant and she's like, well, you're getting over a back injury and you probably should do this. And I was, but there's like 15,000 props. There's like boxes and blankets and all this kind of weird stuff. And I think I was just realizing like, I'd only gone to the kind of yoga that you go to when you are a professional movement student and you are constantly stretching and flexing in weird ways. I was not, um, I had never been exposed to sit and stretch yoga which I liked very much.
2: Yeah. That's with the yoga with Adrian stuff. Like her, she gears it towards at any level that you're at. So if you have a mat, that's cool, but you could also don't even need one. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, she also, as she's doing, um, sort of, I don't know, poses, I don't know what the like forms or whatever. Um, she'll be like, okay, but if this is too challenging for you, here's a like half version of it. Uh, and she like walks you through different versions of it so you can sort of pick which one feels good for you in that moment and that's super helpful because i'm like oh you want me to bend
0: okay um I'll, we'll get there <laughs> yeah we'll get there good um what's making me happy this week is Probably my nerdiest answer to this so far, but it's uh, that I got a library Not, card. No way, no way. That's true. <laughs> you're
1: probably, you're probably
0: <laughs> right.
2: Library card is actually arguably one of
0: the most normal things that I think you've said on
2: this.
1: Yeah, I guess you're probably Compared right. Compared to the other stuff you recommended. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I, I got a library card today. Um, my, I hadn't haven't had one since moving to Denver, and the Denver Public Library system is pretty good. And I we were really sort of thinking about it because you know obviously we have a kid now, and we were starting to think about all the different things that you do with a kid it's like what do you, you know there's all these places that have story times and things like that and libraries are great for kids obviously most of that is not stuff that our child will be able to benefit from for uh, for a long time now uh, quite a while but it was something we were thinking about so we decided to stop in and, and get library cards and i, I you know i, I hadn't it This is kind of weird but i hadn't been in a library in a long time I'm like oh yeah these are great. Like, why haven't I been going to the library more? Facts. And, uh, I don't know. There's not much else to say about it other than, that. like, I picked up a um, you know, a book of uh, tiki cocktail recipes and a Junji Ito manga, and both were great. So that's what I'm up to. And it made me happy. Yeah, watch out for that uh, Junji Ito, dude. It's, that's some raw stuff. Oh, man. It's upsetting stuff. Yep. Nasty, weird, gross yeah. stuff. That, is, that should not be on anyone's list of what's making them happy. <laughs> what's making you yeah. happy this week, Shane?
1: Judge besides judging Reagan yes
0: besides, as always as always uh so there's a new show on Netflix uh that's I'm sure on the front page of everyone's Netflix right now so it's gonna be no surprise that I am watching it uh I'm i I'm really enjoying and have now finished the Umbrella Academy uh TV series this is the adaptation of a series of comics of the same name uh, those comics. Oh, I didn't realize out. there were a comics adaptation. I, I've been seeing stuff about it, but I don't know much about what the show is about. Yeah, so those comics have been around for quite a while. They came out in around like 2006, 2007.
1: My Chemical Romance guy wrote it.
0: Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So the comic Yep. <laughs> the, the comics are written by uh, Gerard Way, who is an American singer-songwriter. Lead vocalist of the rock band My Chemical Romance, which is that, really
1: good. I but knew it's that. Actually a really yes, good familiar. comic. <laughs> oh, it's driving me spicy. Yeah. Written by a rock band guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I am not a fan of My Chemical Romance, and I uh, was not at the time uh, particularly bowled over by the Umbrella Academy uh, comic series, which had has kind of a strange art style. And it was really only six issues in its initial run. So it kind of appeared and then and then vanished from the shelves
1: for it's me. It's like a mini series comic.
0: Yeah. But the uh, the show I, I did check out and I'm really, really glad I did. So the, the TV series of the Umbrella Academy, which by the way, it's kind of odd that they managed to adapt a six issue comic book into a, uh, I think into a 10 episode hour long uh, TV show. Um, you know, I, I kind of wonder how that maps out. I haven't actually read the comics myself. But um, yeah, so the, the TV series uh, has a really terrific cast. It has Ellen Page uh, in one of the lead roles. And then a lot of actors and actresses that I hadn't really seen before, uh, except for Mary J. Blige, who's, uh, who, who, who plays huh. a weird um, agent of a shadowy organization. Uh, alongside uh, an, as a kind of a duo that's really hilarious. Uh, they're kind of the foils of the show, uh, alongside the guy that played Ed Kemper in uh, Mindhunter, if you saw that. Oh, yeah, wow. um, huh. Yeah, it's, it, and so the, the whole first season is really terrific. What, it, what the whole premise of the show is, it's a dysfunctional superhero family where in the late 80s, women all over the world who weren't pregnant the day before suddenly give birth and, uh, a brilliant industrialist, uh, goes around the world, basically collecting as many of these kids as he can and, you know, adopts seven of them and makes a super group because of course they have superpowers. And this is kind of years later after the whole thing has broken up and the family is reunited by, uh, the death of that, uh, eccentric billionaire. And the when I say dysfunctional family, it's like really out there, like it's uh, flat out an abusive uh, family, really. And you know the the whole uh, what what I think is so. There's two things I really really love stylistically about the show. One is uh, it's very emotionally real while simultaneously dealing with like the extreme high weirdness that you expect from comic books. Uh, So. Surviving members of the family after the death of the father include uh, the Pogo, the monkey that he um, gave a a, a highly advanced brain uh, who is kind of the the monkey, literally monkey butler uh, and also mom, the robot. (laughs) Okay. You know, of course, it's like kind of a fun group of kids with superpowers, but they're all now adults and they've gone off in their different ways and they're kind of reunited. Um, so that's one thing—the the high weirdness—and the other thing I love about the production is uh, just the music and the way that they use the music in the show. Um, it's the first superhero TV adaptation I've seen that like started off with some Broadway tunes. Like it opens with yes. music of the night from uh, Phantom of the Opera, and then uh, in the same first episode, there's a dance sequence. Where the whole mansion is like spread out like a doll's house and all of these uh, kind of all of these members of the family have gone off to their old rooms and you're seeing the whole mansion kind of opened up like a doll's house and in each individual room each person is dancing to I think we're alone now.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say they they do. Um, I've I've also actually just before we started recording, uh, watched the last episode of it, and I do recommend it as well. But uh, they they do sort of a um, like a Guardians of the Galaxy thing too, where they they like really carefully placed um, like pop music, you know, that just like fits the scene really really well. Um, like that, that was probably the best scene in the entire show though, is when they you see all of the characters dancing to. I think we're alone now uh, in this like really strange cutaway um yeah shane i i definitely recommend it too um i don't know it, it's a little bit it's not my favorite show that's come out but it's definitely worth watching i almost think i kind of compared it to it's like the best season of american horror story but with superheroes like a just disu- like a dysfunctional superhero family um yeah. where it's just like every single every three minutes there's like something bonkers happening that may or may not be addressed and may or may not make any sense um but it like you're like what you know just like constantly um
0: and and there's also tons of time travel and uh ghosts and the end of the world um and uh mysteries of all sorts it's terrific
2: from an actor's standpoint like Everybody that's in it does a great job, too. Like, the casting is great. Uh, we uh, Robert Sheehan, who plays a character in it, if you watch The Misfits, or it might have just been called Misfits, like a BBC Misfits. show from, mm-hmm. like, six years ago that was really great for a few seasons. One of the standout characters from that is a standout character in this. Um, he plays someone who can conjure the dead.
0: And so... There's that. Uh, it's yeah, a,
2: it's a cool show. That
0: character surprised me. He he started off extremely unlikable for me uh, because he's, um, you know he's a dealt necromancer. With, <laughs> well, he's, you know, he's he's a, he's a junkie. Yeah, uh, he's oh. he's basically dealt with the difficulty of having dead people talk to him all the time by you know becoming a druggie, and um, you really you really kind of come around. I really came around on that character. I really wound up yeah. liking him quite a bit. And he has uh, a, a true heroic turn uh, in the show as well. Uh, Spoilers. <laughs> well, you know, so. they're all superheroes. <laughs> uh, but I, for me, um, yeah, the Cameron Britton, the guy that, like I said, he was, he was on, um, he was Ed Kemper in, uh, in Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the um, kind of special agent from the shadowy, the commission organization. Um, he plays a he plays an agent called Cha Cha or no Cha Cha is Mary. J. Mary Blind. J. Blind he is yeah, he, Hazel. Yeah. Um. And Hazel and has a a romance with that's like a total side story. Uh. But this romance with the uh kind of older uh owner and waitress in a donut shop. Uh, and and so it's he's this sort of mysterious, shadowy character who at first um, is pretty much just a psychopathic murderer who basically, you know, I was primed to see him that way, especially having him played by Ed Kemper, having, hit, having played Ed Kemper. Um, but to, to see that uh, plot line kind of, you know, I- expand out. Uh, really, everyone in this show gets a moment to shine it's a true ensemble show so um that's what's making me happy this week that's awesome i really can't wait to check that out i i've had it on my netflix like queue or whatever for a while but uh yeah, I'll try and make some time for it. It sounds great. Um, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, which is a great place to contact us since we've got a contact form there or you can write us a message. Or you can find us on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, and of course, you can also find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you?
1: You can also find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash.
0: And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter, at NateSTL. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm on the Twitter, at 8BitShane. And thank you again, listeners, so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.